Support for the Soundwriter Show is provided in part by Seattle Cycle Center. As more and more shops discontinue sales of apparel and aftermarket gear, Seattle Cycle Center continues to provide a wide selection of everything you need for your next ride. Family-owned and operated for more than 30 years, Seattle Cycle Center is your destination for helmets, jackets, pants, boots, gloves, rain gear, and much more. Visit their store on Aurora Avenue soon. Hello, this is Bill Cameron from Skagit Power Sports. Welcome to the Sound Rider Show. And now live from the Crow's Nest Studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, join us for the latest episode of the Sound Rider Show, a candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now here are your hosts, Tom Marin, Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today. Resurrected for another episode of the Sound Rider Show. And of course, this is the April edition. And man, oh man, it's officially the start of spring, and there is a lot to talk about in the world of motorcycling. And I mean the world, all over the world, in the Pacific Northwest. You know, there's always things of changing in the world of manufacturing. There's always things of changing in the world of motorcycling. And we're going to get into that here. Just me, Tom Marin, a couple of Easter hams shooting the shit and talking Are we motorcycling. having Easter ham? Yeah. Awesome. Oh, Easter hams. You know, yeah. huh. But it's that time of year, you know, officially the end of March is the start of spring, and we're starting to see some sunny weather and that kind of thing, and we're also starting to see some maybe uh, gray clouds on the horizon in the world of trade. We were kind of talking about this a little bit off the air, and we wanted to get into it here with some of our listeners maybe a little bit as well, but what do you make all this uh, tariff talk? Because there's a lot of international manufacturing and motorcycling. So as we open up this conversation, let's just make it clear to the listeners that uh, you and I are not trade specialists. That's true. And this is probably going to raise more questions and answers. <laughs> it may do that. And so the idea of this of this discussion is to get people thinking about what these tariffs may how they may affect this them. is speculation, right? And we kind of just wanted to get into it a little bit because there's been a lot of talk about, uh, of course, there's been a lot of talk about tariffs on different types of metals, aluminum, steel, and that kind of thing from Asia. There's also been a lot of talk, uh, and this has actually been going on for for decades, but in particular, you know, automotive and motorcycling tariffs. You know, we may import – I think I read something, and again, speculation here, but for instance, with uh, India, you know, we may charge like a 6% tariff on a Royal Enfield motorcycle, or they may charge a 100% tariff on a mm-hmm. Harley-Davidson. Now, I don't know if those numbers are exactly true, but I think those trends have sort of played out um, in some capacity over the last three or four decades. Well, we know the real number for, say, like China, uh, we charge 25 of something coming in here. Right. And then uh, if we send an automobile, and I think it holds true, if we send a Harley over, they they take they they add up a twenty five percent tariff. Right. So that's a multitude of ten in comparison there. Um, and all, of course, income levels are significantly lower in uh, countries like China than they are here as well. So that has an even greater impact. But what what are your kind of your some of your thoughts? Maybe how could this play out if we do start to see some of these tariffs roll through? Because really, motorcycling has become. The manufacturing of it has become completely international. In fact, I read today that uh, the BMW 310, the GS, is actually manufactured in India. 
Oh, yeah. You know, so, I mean, that just goes to show you that there's a lot of uh, cross components and cross connections here. So what would this mean, do you think, for kind of, you know, the horizon of motorcycling in general? Well, um, the first one that I noted here is uh, if other countries decide to start slapping tariffs on us, then here in the Pacific Northwest, Northwest economy, uh, that could cut into Boeing sales, right? Somebody get an Airbus for, for less, than, uh, then they'll be able to move one into whatever XYZ country, a Boeing unit. Sure, assuming that it escalates into sort of – some sort of trade war status, right? That's, yeah. That would be sort of one maybe worst-case scenario for us here in the Pacific Northwest. And that – I suppose that could be a possibility. I don't know um, – Specifically, I think Airbus is what? Is that where is Airbus? It's European, right? Okay, so it's France. I was thinking it was Austrian or France, Um, but if it's France, I think we're still we're still all on the same team, right? Isn't this more of a a China United States sort of thing? Yeah, but see, then if if China decides to uh, uh, charge a tariff on an air on a on a Boeing, right? It doesn't matter what France does if they, as long as they don't have the same kind of tariff on true. Airbus, they're, they're going to be buying Airbus planes. So, right? No, that's absolutely true. You know, it's sort of a uh, a proxy war in that sense, a proxy trade war. But um, what do you think um, as far as uh, the cost of production for maybe like American made motorcycles? Because I know that uh, Harley Davidson have sort of, uh, you know sort of raised their hand in the back of the in the class and said, hey, um, you know, we get a lot of our steel and aluminum from China, and we're not real crazy about the uh, prospects of, uh, you know, some of these import tariffs. Well, and a lot of the electronics that are made right. for Harley-Davidson are built in China. So, uh, and, and it goes beyond that because um, all your Apple iPhones are made in China. Yeah. Uh, your Qualcomm chips, your Intel chips, sure. all that stuff. You know, Intel, yeah, it's an American company, but everything's manufactured overseas. So, right. so now if they start, uh, if we start putting some tariffs on all that stuff, we're kind of like really burning. You know, I I don't see the day we're going to be manufacturing. Intel chips in the U.S. in any high volume. I can't imagine that that's – certainly in the short term anyway. But, uh, I, you know, my my tendency is to think that this is a lot of uh, is a lot of power playing, and I think that the dust is probably going to settle. I mean, personally, I'm always I'm, – I'm a free trade type of person where I like to see people all trading on an equal and level playing field and just, and just trading, keeping the governments out of it. But um, – it will certainly be interesting to see, you know, like again to go back to the Harley Davidson example. Could they withstand having to raise their prices ten percent? I mean, the market share is already dwindling there. Um, yeah, what do you think that's going to do to them on the international front if they start getting tariffs in other countries? I mean, I'm sure they. I don't know what they currently have tariff-wise right. in the other countries, but if everybody starts adding tariffs onto our imports, then uh, that's going to hurt Harley Davidson even more. Yeah. And that's of and course kind of down right now. Yeah, it's been a tough couple of months, and I think uh, you know we might maybe get into this on the uh, next month's show because I think they're getting ready to release their earnings on April twenty fifth. I think that I saw, so we'll see what uh, the last quarter has led for Harley Davidson. But you know, it's certainly it's certainly interesting in the world, the manufacturing world. It's really it's getting dif- more and more difficult to isolate it to a single country, especially with complex things like motorcycles. And, you know, I don't know. I hope it all gets settled, and I hope that uh, we continue to see, you know, innovation like we've seen in the last couple of decades. But um, always something to keep your eye on, I suppose. Yep. 
Yep. So maybe we go back to the Pacific Northwest here and uh, change gears a little bit to something that we do know quite a bit about as opposed to trade. This would be less speculative. But well, I was reading uh, an article that uh, we had published this month on cleaning tips, and I think uh, spring is a good time to get into that, right? Spring showers kind of refresh, and it uh, applies to not just the landscape but also to your gear. Yeah, restore some of your waterproofing products yeah. on, your, on your gear. Uh, but you know, you you don't wash your motorcycle, right? Uh, I've had it for a couple of years now. I've not washed it once. Yeah. So, so do you wash your gear, or do you have like the same layer of blood, blood and <laughs> bug guts on there? Well, uh, let me think back here. Um, <laughs> I think that I've washed my riding suit once, and I've had that for uh, pretty much my entire riding career, which goes back now six or seven years. And uh, I think my leather jacket, I, I give the wipe-off treatment once it builds up with bugs. Yeah. So, um, no, I guess the answer is no. I don't really wash my gear all that much. What about you? Are you a regular refresher? or I like to wash it at least once a year. Yeah. Yeah, if it gets really nasty. But, you know, like I wear all those bright colors, all that. Uh, That's true. So that... Teletubby green yeah. and stuff. <laughs> So. Yeah, the uh, the the bright colors they have uh, they tend to show dirt a little bit more, right? Once you get a little grime built up, yeah, yeah, and they and they they also seem to retain. I'm sure everything retains dirt and grime, yeah. but you don't see it on a black textile jacket, right? You know? That thing could be holding all kinds of oil and tar. You'd never know it, yeah. But on uh, on on the high vis green stuff. Uh, and it, 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 it the, the color doesn't seem to hold up to the sun that well. Yeah, those are all the same reasons that not many manufacturers make uh, high vis green underwear. Y- you know, that's exactly <laughs> yeah, right. what I was just thinking. <laughs> doesn't right. hold up to the sun it's well. Like you were it, reading my mind. It shows tar and dirt too much. You know, it's uh, <laughs> it's a struggle there. But um, but what are what are some of the quick tips? You know, because you have uh, you've been involved with. Um, the uh, what's it? Tech Wax, Tech Niche. Who makes the uh, Nick Wax? Nick Wax. That's yeah. it. Yeah, Nick Wax. It does the cleaning products and the restorative products, which are do a brilliant job. I've used those on uh, several platforms, like um, you know, like my backpacking tent and that kind of thing. And uh-huh. they will really bring back the waterproofing. But what are some quick tips that you have, maybe that uh, we can pass along to the listeners? Well, the first tip would be read the article if you haven't read. Well, it. of course, yeah. Um, the second tip is. Um, Textile gear doesn't do too well in a top-load machine. They're too rough for them, and they can tear up the less expensive product, like, That's a good uh, point. like the Joe Rockets and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and there's so much cheap gear on the market that's that's coming into the market right now, and I could just see all that stuff failing in the washing machine if someone throws it on top-load. That's why you proposed the tariff on all uh... – <laughs> Chinese uh, motorcycle uh, accessories, right? Yeah, twenty five percent. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, um, so go to the laundromat if you don't have a, a front loader, right? Because yeah. you, you don't want the agitator arm more than anything, right? Because that's agi- what tears them up. Yeah, the agitator arm just really wreaks havoc on things, and um, it's it's terrible for waterproofing too. You don't realize sort of how delicate that outer layer is. It's sort of an inner. It's well, yeah, and then you know when you have like Gore-Tex in a in a suit, like say like an Arrow Stitch suit that does have Gore-Tex, right? Uh, all that stuff has tape lining, and so that's just gonna wear it out. Yeah, you know you got to be more gentle. Uh, I found that Shout worked pretty well for getting some of that grime out of the high vis green. Gotcha. Uh, but you got to spray it on, and you got to brush it real good. 
and really loosen it up and then throw it into a, a sort of a pre-rinse cycle. And that shout, that's just a base, that's just a stain remover, right? That you'd find. Yeah. For, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of like a super soap, man. When you get that stuff on there, it really brings the grime to the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't seem to, to uh, bleach out any of the material that I've used it on. So right. that's okay. But, um, yeah, and any of the salt that you hit when you were on the salt flats, you know, to get that out. Yeah, just uh, we were talking a little bit about that uh, earlier, again, off the off the air, but that was, uh, was is she a racer, or what was the story? Yeah, yeah she's, she's a world land speed holder. We're talking about Valerie Thompson, right. who went to Australia and brined herself on the salt <laughs> yeah, that's flats. That's right, the old dry brine. Uh, when, the, when the bike uh, crashed. So. But, of course, she's okay, I assume. She's okay. There? Okay, yeah. that's, that's okay to make jokes there, but yeah. in excess of 300 miles an hour. She, I believe her speed at that moment was 347, which, Whew. you know, right now her, the, the record holder for the women's class, I believe was 303. Wow. So she was, must have had a jet engine in there or something. They yeah. said it was a 500 horsepower motor that was a V4. Whew. Now I assume that there's video floating around to this. Is that? Yeah, you can watch it. I'm just, I'm curious how far she slid. I don't know. I didn't watch the video. Yeah, it must be brutal, but yeah, that's... Probably a, only uh, about six feet. What do you think? Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> only if it was into a wall. Well, they actually got her... They pulled her bike out of Tasmania when she was all done. I because, gotcha, yeah. Yeah, she just sort of skidded across the ocean. And, well, the the big question is, what would be your cleaning tips for a 340-mile-an-hour crash? Uh, that would be going to the body shop and then <laughs> yeah. the paint shop after that. That's right. Maybe stop at the hospital first, but... <laughs> all right, speaking of the crazy stuff... Um, you know, Andy uh, Cherney did a really nice article for us about the state of Jefferson. Right. And I guess that caught the L.A. Times eye because they went and did a whole report on the uh, upswell of people down in Northern California wanting to break the northern part of the state off and create the state of Jefferson. Again. Sure. Yeah, pretty crazy. A great, uh, I guess this is Andy's introductory article to Soundwriter, right? Yes. And, and in uh, uh, April, he's got an article on the Lost Coast, part one. He keeps bringing them. This was a really uh, a really fun article to read, very detailed, excellent, uh, excellent wording, and really well written, I thought. And, you know, something that I didn't know too much about. I know in sort of our, uh, our history together over the last couple of years, you've sort of made uh, off-the-cuff comments about it, but I didn't really know too much. And uh, it's it's just fascinating. You know, I don't think people, I don't think people really uh, recognize the depth of history that exists in the Pacific Northwest. You know, a lot of times people will think, of course, of the East Coast and uh, even down south, by around uh, Louisiana and that sort of thing. And then, of course, California on its own. But there's a lot going on in uh, the Pacific Northwest, um, including the state of Jefferson, Lewis and Clark, like we've talked about before. That's really just kind of fascinating to uh, to get into. Yeah, I was watching uh, uh, cabins. What was it? So something called the the Grand Lodges near national parks. Interesting. And they had the Willowa Lake cabin in there, and I don't remember Willowa Lake ever being a national park, but maybe yeah. it is. I don't know. Um, but they had all the history on that, and you know, these are all things that were built by individuals. Most of them were not. Somebody from the government said, let's put a lodge down here. Right. These were privately built places that eventually got taken over and operated by the U.S. government. So rugged frontiersmen, right? Yeah. So um, that kind of stuff is fun to know when you're out riding around in places like that rather than just riding around and not 
knowing the history about the places you're going. No, I totally agree. I think that's actually one of the most sort of underrated ways to tour is to go from historical point to historical point because there's just so much to see out there. Yeah, and making a point. Yeah. And uh, we'll be uh, we'll be studying some history of the Pacific Northwest coming up in May. We still got some seats open on the road trip tour. Nice. So uh we're we're going to uh see some interesting things. Yeah, I mean that sounds like a great uh, a great layout that you've got again this year and um you know it's always uh May is a great time to really get out and do sort of your first touring uh es- you know escapade. I think that's a I think it's great timing for the road trip. So Yeah. Yeah, it'll be it'll probably be a little nippy, but that's okay. Just bring your heated gear. Hey, man, that's what it's all about, right? It'd be better than have it being like 120 degrees out in the desert, you know? Yeah. Because <laughs> we're going out in the desert one day. Yeah, so. what do you think the uh, temperature will be there in May? Uh, we're going to go out into the desert in the morning. So in May, it could be in the 40s. Always maybe have maybe to, we'll get lucky. It'll be in the 50s. Yeah, man. You always have to be prepared in the Pacific Northwest. That's for sure. But like you said, a little heated gear goes a long way. Yep. All right. Hey, let's, uh, let's take a little break. When we come back, we've got some news bites. Support for Soundwriter and the Soundwriter Show is made possible by... Adventure Motorsports. Stomish County's largest selection of Yamaha and Suzuki motorcycles, ATVs, quads, and UTVs are available in Monroe at Adventure Motorsports. Celebrating a decade of top-rated sales, service, parts, and accessory support, hit the road and visit Adventure Motorsports today. Hi, this is Carl. I live in Yakima, Washington. One of my favorite places to ride is Northeast Oregon because there's nobody out there. Hi, this is Delvine Manning from the Bonneville Motorcycle Speed Trials, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Sound Rider Show. We'll dive right into news bites. And you know, at first it kind of seemed like it was a uh, a slow month, but you know what? Looking at this list here, there's actually quite a bit that happened in the Pacific Northwest. Well, it's an April show, so I made half of this up. I gotcha. <laughs> Tis the season for that. But this first one, I uh, I think we can confirm officially is is true. And it sounds like here in the Puget Sound region, Southbound Honda is going to have a new owner. So Southbound Honda has a new owner. His name is Kevin Hart. He comes from Peninsula Motorsports over, uh, uh, well, on the peninsula. Right. And uh, so he's taken over. Uh, the previous owners, which are Jeff Reiner uh, and Dale and Vicky Gray, also own South Sound Honda, and they will put all their focus back into that shop. So it's uh, South Sound Honda Suzuki Polaris. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. What we do know is that uh, the new owner, Kevin, has added lots of used motorcycles to the mix. Many of them are Harley-Davidson's. Okay. So that's a little bit of a different twist for what was happening over in that shop prior. Right. Well, change of pace, but always good to have uh, new faces in the uh, the Pacific Northwest motorcycling scene. And uh, certainly we wish Kevin a, a lot of luck. And, you know, I'll be interested to see what kind of changes come 
come Southbound's way, you know, even outside of this uh, this new edition of the used bike selection. Yeah, we'll just have to uh, keep watching. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll we'll post stuff in uh, news bites as we know it. Uh, let's see. Okay, uh, this is not in news bites, but I got the word the other day from uh, the show or the event promoter Eric Folkstead. Right. That the hotels are basically sold out for Pendleton Bike Week. So wow. if you're thinking of going to Pendleton Bike Week, here's what Eric's going to do for you. If you buy the week-long pass, you get free camping. That's great. And that includes showers and, and restrooms and all that. So you're not dry camping and going to an outhouse. Right. And the uh, the the week long pass is all inclusive too. You get the concerts and that kind of stuff. Do you know? Uh, well, I think you have to pay extra for the okay. Fog Hat concert. It's Fog Hat this year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but there's lots of uh, other bands that are going to play, and I think they're included in the price of the pass. I gotcha. You have to check the Pendleton Bike Week website if you want to know. Right. Makes sense. And I know you want to go. I do. And uh, what I really want to do is take a slow ride down there. You know. <laughs> take it easy for the week or so but no that's great and it's 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 really awesome to see the uh the kind of success that he has that he has had and that event has had so quickly you know I mean, it's just a few years old and already we're talking about being sold out that far in advance that's great yeah yeah so that's good uh let's see eagle rider who has had rentals here in the pacific northwest for a while has signed a deal to put a hundred rental outlets into harley davidson stores so um, they they will no longer be renting Indians, right? <laughs> so there, uh, it sounds like maybe there is a, a little bit of a power play at work. Do you think? Well, I guess so. I yeah. mean, if you were Harley and you were going to bring them into your shops, you know, I'm sure that part of the deal is you're not going to have the competitor's product there. So no, I think that certainly makes sense, and I think that this is a this is a nice attempt by Harley, right? Because I mean, isn't isn't part of the challenge now is to get new riders to upgrade to these bigger weight motorcycles? Well, part of the challenge for the dealers over the years was there's been a number of Harley Davidson dealers that tried to operate rental operations, sure, but they can't. They can't. You kind of have to have a hundred percent focus on that when yeah. you do it. And so um, by letting the Eagle Rider come in and run that whole operation, and they don't really have to pay attention to the day-to-day on it. And, uh, and, and, and also it probably gives them the option to cut better deals on insurance and that sort of thing. Because yeah. they can do it you know, for across the 100 shops instead of this little shop wants to rent some bikes and they'll have to go to their own insurance carrier or something like that. Definitely, yeah. I think having that sort of group – uh, policy there is going to make a big impact. But I like the move for, for Harley-Davidson. I mean, you can go into the shop, you can browse around, and then you can uh, you can take one out for a rental. I mean, that makes that makes sense to me. Yeah, and I, I don't know how they're going to do it. I know in the past, when it was an individual shop renting bikes, you could oftentimes rent a bike for a day or a weekend, and then if you decided you want to buy one of that model, they'd give you the difference back on your rental. Yeah, I think that's a great program. So I don't know if that's going to happen or not with the Eagle Rider deal. Just what? have to ask. Yeah, you know, that uh, that that amazes me always when I when I see numbers like 100 shops for Eagle Rider. I mean, that's just, that's a pretty massive operation for yeah. motorcycles. That's a pretty that's a pretty tall order. Yeah, so. definitely. Well, best of luck to them. A lot of local dealers are hiring, so if you were thinking about getting into the motorsports business or re-entering or you just need a job and you don't even know what a motorcycle is, 
Like, why would you be listening to this show? Well, just because you love the, uh, the soothing sounds of our voice here on the, uh, the April edition, right? So, uh, so I know that uh, Seattle Cycle Center has several positions open. Adventure right. Motorsports has like seven positions open. Wow. So wherever you live, call your dealer if you want a job and find out if they're hiring. You could check their website, but I'd pick up the phone and call them because I, I think they know more on the phone. Always uh, a good approach, I think, when you're looking for, uh, for employment, to talk to somebody, right? That's how you get that, that first reference. Yep. Um, March is when we released the new services directory. Right. So that's all been updated with uh, uh, who the people are that make custom seats, who's making luggage, all the local businesses. And you can check that out online. Just go to soundwriter.com and click the link for it. Um, and if you, if you see that we're missing somebody, please, by all means um, – Send us an email. Tell us about the shop that we need to add in. We're always uh, always looking. I know uh, painters are hard to find. If yeah. you have any painters, we would love to include them in the directory. Well, for a while here in Seattle, we had a handful, but it seems like just over the last two years, we've lost most of them, right? Yeah. Yeah, because of environmental laws. Is that the reason that yep. uh, they're shutting down, really? Yep. Interesting. Um, let's see. Okay, so uh, the next two things here are all related to one guy, and that is a gentleman named Ron Dillon who puts on the Big Nasty Hill Climb in Idaho and mm-hmm. puts on the Snow Bike Race Series for AMA. And so uh, the first point we got is that the the name of the Big Nasty Hill Climb is going to change, and I don't know what it's going to be called. Right. But uh, it'll it'll show up higher in the search engines, whatever it is. But that's the- unless you were looking for Stormy Daniels and Big Nasty Hill Climb <laughs> at the same time. But but uh, I think uh, I think you just named the recreation of that uh, that video that was soon to be released. You want to call it the Stormy Daniels Hill Climb? No, the Big Nasty Hill Climb, right? Yeah, so it'd be uh, Stormy Daniels and uh, Donald Donald Hump. There you oh. go, right? Oh. <laughs> Well, that stuff never happened. Come on now. <laughs> hey, man, I don't know. I don't get involved with that. But I'm looking at this, and I say, <laughs> uh, you know, with just a little bit of duct tape, you can just drop the end, put in a T, and call it the Big Tasty Hill Climb. Hey, there you go. Right? Put a little yeah. soft serve at the top, you know, get some sponsorship going, yeah, and, and you'll be all set. Have a dirt pancake, and you'll be good. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, okay, so, so now this is part two on Ron Dillon, the Idaho Power Sports Show is supposedly returning to Boise in April. But we don't have it in our calendar because we're looking at the website and we're not seeing a lot of detail there. What we do know is they're going to include the round one of the AMA Supermoto race in the event, and that is that that website is live. So we're we're all confused right now. Right. Now this event uh it, it was here a couple of years ago. The first year I think that they had pretty good success, right? They ran it a couple of years yeah. and uh and it it declined year after year and uh, original promoters I don't believe are involved anymore. Okay. As I recall it was like a doctor or a dentist from Boise that didn't even ride a motorcycle. Interesting. I don't know. Yeah. All I hear is stuff, you know. <laughs> Changes. But, hey, anytime uh, we can get another show here in the Pacific Northwest, I am uh, 100% behind that. And I hope that they get it together and we can get some official dates so people can come out and check it out. Yep. 
Um, let's see. Okay, then we got word, and I think this was after we recorded the show last month, yeah. was uh, that the uh, Cannonball Run, which is uh, uh, a ride that goes usually from the East Coast to the West Coast and involves uh, motorcycles built before 1930, yeah. uh, is going to end this summer in Portland. It's actually going to go from Portland, Maine, to Portland, Oregon. Yeah, which I thought was pretty cool. And, you know, I had been aware of the Cannonball Run for all these years, but I just, in finding out that this was in Portland, Oregon, is going to end there, I didn't realize that the bikes had to be that old. Yeah. You know, and I ended up seeing, I think, an old episode of Jay Leno's Garage where he was talking to one of the former participants on like an old Henderson or something. Mm. And uh, it's a lot of work to get a 1927 uh, motorcycle coast to coast. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You got to kind of have a uh, a couple spare parts. Yeah. <laughs> it would be helpful. A few spare people in the truck behind you, too. <laughs> uh, I also want to follow up on something from last month. Um, you and I were talking about the price of – or the uh, – the state of the industry and the lack of sales right now. Yeah. And uh, our, our resident economist, uh, Norm, uh, pointed out that it's oftentimes follows the price of fuel. So when the price of fuel is low, unit sales are low on bikes. And right. then when the price of fuel goes up, it goes up. And uh, sure enough, all those countries that we were talking about that BMW said they were accelerating in in Europe and all these places, sure. there's like 5 6 $7 a gallon for fuel. Yeah. So you bet we're going to sell more motorcycles if the price of gas goes up. But if it doesn't, we're, we're probably going to be stagnated here for a while. So a lot of people, I guess the theory would go then, are they're trading in uh, their vehicles or they're putting in – putting them in the garage in exchange of something that's a little more fuel efficient. I would be interested to know what the breakdown is of scooters of that proportion of new sales year over year, you know? Uh, it's probably still around 2%. Think so? Yeah. Yeah. But it does go up when the price of gas goes up. Scooter sales go. Yeah. They shoot. That's a very interesting correlation, though. And the reason that they shoot up is because uh in many states uh anything that's under 50 cc's doesn't require an endorsement so that yeah that makes sense say, yeah. well, it's easier get to get on it's get, yeah one. easier to get involved of course yeah yeah um we'll see the cafe to cafe got underway this month the grand tour you can still sign up just go to soundwriter.com click on cafe to cafe uh, that'll get you the list of the 15 restaurants scattered around the Pacific Northwest. And we'll be updating the uh, standings uh, at the first of every month. And I actually put it in my Outlook calendar this year. Right. <laughs> After all these years, it. you've got it official there. That's great. That's hard to believe it's already uh, off and running again this year and uh, just at the start. So if you're still interested in uh, taking part, you got a lot of months to get out there and ride and go to the website, check it out, uh, the Cafe de Cafe, a sound rider favorite. I know it's always one of my favorite events. Now, when we come back next month, um, our resident economist, Norm, yeah. has been busy finalizing all of the 2018 demographic study. Oh, great. So I'm picking that up from him this week and going through and doing the final massage, and we will have the stats on who our readers are, what they ride, 
how far they ride every year, and uh, and I, we'll we'll talk about that on the show. Next That'll month. be awesome to dig into that A little teaser for the uh, the May episode. Do you have a new yeah. spider too that I didn't cover? Here? Yeah, I was going to uh, mention. You know, speaking, we talked a little bit about Boise earlier. Um, over in Boise, they're going to be hosting the X Games soon. I think it's in June, and uh, they've just announced that they're going to have a uh, Harley Davidson hooligan race, which is going to be sort of a uh, a flat track style uh event i didn't see too many more details on it but um i always thought uh you know we've talked a lot about um you know harley davidson trying to get involved with a younger crowd and they had like some monster uh, energy integration integration and that kind of thing but mm-hmm. i guess in the absence of uh, dirt bikes i guess you go to the flat track right well and, and you know connect with the hooligans because that's where the market's at <laughs> I guess who knows? Maybe they've got the money, or uh, I, it might not be a uh, a terrible play. But uh, Harley Davidson in the X Games seems kind of uh, well. They've been in the X Games for several years now. They've been tied in with the X Games. Well, sponsoring it, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. that's. I mean, this is. I think. I, well, maybe there are other events, but uh, it's going to be in Boise if you want to go and check it out. So let's all move to Boise. Hey, I, it happen. I say <laughs> I'd be on board for that. I think <laughs> traffic is uh, not as bad there as it is here. No, there's only like three exits on the interstate, right? For now, man. But the city continues to grow. But uh, pretty interesting, anyway. That um, just to see the further sort of growth of uh, Harley Davidson and sort of this extreme um, sport branding. We'll see what that leads over the next couple of years. And you were asking me if I went to the – you were asking me about how the Spokane Motorcycle Show was. Oh, yeah, right? that's right. I yeah, to mention that yeah absolutely. Well, I think you've still got a big challenge over there. I think they're running it like an old-style cruiser show. And, uh, you know, they play classic rock all day. I could only take so much of Pink Floyd <laughs> or, or any of the other multiple classic rock that was coming over the speakers. Right. And it just wasn't appealing to younger riders. Um, There wasn't a lot of dirt bikes, and Spokane sells a lot of dirt bikes. Absolutely, yeah. So those people were kind of outed. Um, There wasn't really anything there for adventure riders, so those people didn't really have much they could look at. Hmm. And uh, I just – I just – I hope that uh, Chris will figure out how to bring in a younger demographic, you know, uh, surely there is a younger demographic, and they're buying bikes like Triumphs and that sort of yeah. thing. And and we just have to get to them and and show them how to go from uh, two thousand miles a year to eight thousand miles a year, and start drawing those people in. Now, what did you think of um, sort of the the selection of vendors there? Because you know, a lot of times you go to some of these motorcycle shows, and it's like you've got some uh, some woman listening to. It was with, I guess, Three Dog Night and making leather bracelets and that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, and doing hair braids. Right, yeah. And selling uh, uh, nail coverings. Yeah. And, and there was a lot of that going on, okay. unfortunately. I gotcha. Um, I don't know. You know, I mean, there was the guy selling the cheap sunglasses. Right. There was uh, a lot of clubs. And you look at... I you know I don't I don't want to be pessimistic here, but when you look at some of these people, I'm 58, and yeah. I was one of the younger people there, both as a vendor and as an attendee. I gotcha. So uh, we gotta fix that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, mm-hmm. there there needs to be a shift. I will say when we went to the uh, Vancouver show, um, 
those types of uh, booths were, I thought, noticeably absent there. I mean, they had a few, but yeah. I thought the overwhelming majority was motorcycle-focused. And I thought that the Vancouver show had a lot more practical vendors, like yeah. people selling maps, atlases, yep. guidebooks. Motorcycle rentals, trainings. Yeah. Uh, stuff that, you know, motorcyclists need and, and not a hair braid. And there's those resources. I mean, we have those in every – Every major city, the every major metropolitan area, Boise, um, Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, we have plenty of that to choose from. Yeah. So we need to get them down there. So anyways, that's my report on that. Cool. But uh, we had an okay time there. Um, we ate at a bunch of different places. Uh, if you want to report on that, just go to seattledining.com because there's an article going up about uh, some of the restaurants in Spokane. So if you ever have to go report to Spokane for a few days, yeah, uh, we could tell you where to eat and where not to eat. Well, hey, that's a great destination, a great stop if you're going to go out and ride northern Idaho uh, this summer. Take a day in Spokane. True. Okay, <clears throat> let's uh, take a little break and we'll come back with a calendar. Support for SoundRider and the SoundRider Show is made possible by... The Rally in the Gorge. Are you ready to go beyond the main roads? Since 2003, the Rally in the Gorge has introduced riders intimately to the awesome secondary and tertiary roads in the Columbia River Gorge National Scenic Area. With programs for dual sport, adventure, sport touring, and sport bike enthusiasts, this is the rally you'll want to return to again and again. For more information, visit soundrider.com slash rally. Hey, I'm John from Briar, Washington, and, uh, well, it's not real local, but... I like going to John Day, Oregon uh, for the rally, and Highway 19 is an awesome ride. Hi, this is Misty from Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Springtime in full effect here in the Pacific Northwest, and we have the calendar to prove it. There are a lot of great events coming up here in April, and uh, why don't we just jump in and head straight to it, starting on the 7th and 8th, a Pacific Northwest classic, the Desert 100. Classic? Yeah. It is a classic. It's I'm like the 40th it. year yeah. or something. It's crazy. <laughs> It's been around a long time, and this is what, the Stump Jumpers Motorcycle Club? Stump Jumpers Motorcycle Club yeah. puts us on, and uh, started out as just a desert race, and then uh, went to two days, and now they have a dual sport aspect, they have a fun run, I think on both days, like a poker run. Right. Well, and for, I ha- for dual sport, not not don't don't bring your street bike. <laughs> and I have not good authority here that uh, the party never ends and the dust never settles. So mm-hmm. if uh, you're looking to go from uh, year forty or whatever it may be to year forty one, make it uh, this year. And I noticed that they've been doing some other stump jumper events out that way um, during the month of March. Okay. So I'm going to guess that the uh, if uh, if the route uses any of the areas that they've already been playing in, there's going to be some sandy activity going on. Uh-oh. A little uh, good time to practice some of your more uh, difficult terrain, maybe, huh? Yeah, like staying on two wheels. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, let's see. And then uh, if, if you just want to be a spectator and you don't want to get too dusty, uh, you could go down to Central Link Field on Saturday the 7th for the Supercross. That's right. Yeah, Supercross. Uh, this is uh, one of the Monster Energy events. We talked about that a little bit in the previous segment there. But uh, you're right, a much more mild motorcycle afternoon there. You'll just be sitting in the stadium and taking in the show. Um, I'm not sure what the schedule looks like, but sometimes they run a Mariners game at the same time over oh, in Safeco. So, nice. Uh, you might check that, and if so, uh, think about a transportation option. Well, I think uh, if I know my Mariners, you have to have those tickets uh, many, many months in advance. They always sell out, right? The Mariners? <laughs> The early games do. That was uh, a little April Fool's Day. Yeah, no, there, but, but the early games do, so yeah. yeah. All right, well, hey, maybe get on it. I don't know. The last time I went to a Mariners game, I uh, I felt like I was one of maybe 200 people in there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, they, I think they blew it when they moved the broadcast to cable only. You think that uh, affected the attendance? Huh? Lost me as a fan. Oh, I gotcha. And I haven't been to a game since either. Well, what do you think about this? What do you think about the uh, Sound Rider Bring Your Motorcycle Night? And we'll just all... <laughs> yeah, that'll be huge. That'll be really huge. Um, Seems like a good idea to me. Uh, Sunday the 8th, if you're a street rider, you can go down to Portland and do the Rose City 250. This will be a, a 250-mile route that needs to be done in a day within a certain period of time. Uh, you can go to our website to get to their website. Just go to soundwriter.com backslash calendar. And what I'm going to tell you is that sometimes they like to start this like real early. Gotcha. Like check in, is it like six in the morning? Woo. And then uh, first bike out at 730 or something like that. So uh, take a look at the Rose City website and watch those times so you make it on time. Um, on the 14th, we got um, Washington Motorcycle Road Racing Association starting up their series this year down at Pacific Raceways. And uh, whether you want to race or not, you can always go down and be a spectator. Yeah. That's fun. Um, if you like to shoot with a camera... Um, you can uh, find out what color vest they want you to have. They don't want you to have a, a high-vis, but they want you to have some type of visibility. And you can walk out around the track and shoot at various vantage points. That's a pretty neat little feature there, you know. I mean, that's something that uh, is a trickier aspect, I think, of motorcycle, motorcycle photography. And this gives you a chance to kind of practice and take in the spectacle. I think that's uh, – I think that would be a great time. Yeah. If you'd like to just go look at bikes, you can walk through the pits and check out everybody's bikes. Yeah. And watch them warm up their tires with those tire heaters and uh, all that. You know, Wimra, always doing good stuff. <laughs> uh, let's see. Sunday – the 15th, yours truly is going to be back at Cascade Motorcycle Safety in Anacortes. I'll be doing a seminar on touring in the Pacific Northwest. And I have lots of pretty slides nice. of people going both on-road and off-road. Uh, the seminar is free, and you're going to need to go to the Cascade Motorcycle Safety website to sign up because we have limited seating. But... Uh, 
We want you to come if you want to know more about where to ride here yeah. in the Northwest. Well, take me through a little bit of sort of the curriculum there, because this sounds like a uh, a pretty awesome sort of little afternoon uh, event here. What um, specifically are you going to be talking about? Are you talking about places to go, tips while you're out touring? Or? Yeah, no, to places to go primarily. Gotcha. And just getting you off of the interstate, you know, um, taking you into some of the the places that you might not think about riding to, right. you know, like uh, like if, if, if you're going to pass through Moses Lake, we could probably give you a couple pointers on places to go check out some cool geology, some history. So much to see. And, you know, and it's just, it's like that everywhere. If, if, you, if you say, well, I want to go from here to Boise, I could give you a, a couple of ideas on how to do that a little more interestingly. And, you know, I think it's worth mentioning, too, because I know we've picked up a lot of new listeners in the last couple of months, but you've written quite a few books on touring in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, what is that? Are we five books, six books specifically? Six on books. The, six books on yeah. motorcycle touring specifically in the Pacific Northwest. Both on and off-road. Right. And then the uh, the countless countless events that you've hosted over the years through Sound Rider, there's really um, a lot of undiscovered gems, and there's no, no reason to take the interstate. No. No, no. Yeah, so this would be a great introduction for that, for maybe people who aren't familiar with your work, and uh, pick up a book or two, go and enjoy the seminar, and of course, Cascade Motorcycle Safety doing really great things uh, in the training realm here in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, and there's some cool stuff coming that I can't talk about right now, because awesome. it told me not to talk about it, All right, another, but I know what it is, Another it's going to be cool. Yeah. <laughs> and we will talk about it. We'll probably have Jesse on the show again. Fantastic. Uh, let's see, also on Sunday, uh, if, if you'd rather go and get wet in the mud, uh, you could do the wet duck poker run with the Tacoma Motorcycle Club. And, uh, so now I don't, uh, I don't recall this last year. Is this, uh, well, this is every year. This is every year. Yeah, I don't, they do the wet duck poker run and they do the dry duck poker run. Yeah, I gotcha. And it's, this is another dual sport event or off-road event, dirt riders, right? Yeah. Actually, I think the dry duck may have been uh, put to rest for now. Okay. And that was a street event, as I recall. But uh, they, And then there is some third event that they have coming later. I don't know off the top of my head what it is. But uh, this is all fundraiser stuff for Tacoma Motorcycle Club, which is one of the oldest motorcycle clubs here in the Pacific Northwest. I gotcha. I think that third event is the climate-controlled duck poker run. <laughs> you're wet, you're dry, and you're the climate thermostat controlled. Right. duck <laughs> yeah. poker run. Uh, the 18th will be uh, the second backfire moto of the year. Uh, we had the first one. I went to it. Did you? What did you think this year? Um, I guess it's down at the new location. Of course, we had the guys on. Uh, we had the guys on last month. Yeah, last month. And uh, down at the shop here uh, in South Seattle. What'd you think? Well, I, it was different. And um, I think it was kind of the same, shall we say, clientele. Okay. Um But with the new location, I knew that food was going to be a challenge. And they they kind of solved it. They got a food truck in, and cool. then they also had, uh, you know, Ethan Stoll owns the Derby restaurant right. there. And uh, he has catering as well. So they popped out the smoker, and they were doing barbecue outside, and then you could order food inside. Oh, I like the sound of that. And uh, they also ran a beer garden outside. Um, some people thought that that was maybe just a little too commercial. 
But I didn't think that was really any different from when they used to do it in Ballard. Right. And Shelter was cleaning up, having a restaurant that people could go into. There was two or three different microbreweries that were cleaning yeah. up. And without any of those things down there, they, you know, yeah, I, I guess all the money went toward the same pocket. But nonetheless, I mean, the services were there available for, for people. Uh, they brought in extra Santa cans. They barricaded off the parking area so it was motorcycles only in nice. there. And uh, I don't know. I thought, I thought they made a good go of it. I was going to say, it sounds like for the first pitch, it was a, uh, a smashing success. Of course, things are going to evolve, you know, as they get used to the new location there. But uh, I wish those guys a lot of success. I'm really impressed with um, sort of the growth of that event and how they've managed to keep it so motorcycle-focused uh, for the years that they've been doing it. So Yeah. So that'll be happening again. Uh, and it's supposed to be a year-round event. Remember they told yeah, us that? Yeah, that's right. So uh, on the 20th through the 22nd, the Washington State BMW Riders is putting on their annual rain run. And you don't have to have a BMW to do it. Right. Uh, and you can only cross your fingers and hope it rains on the rain yeah. run. But they go uh, from somewhere here in Washington State down to the Oregon coast. And uh, like I say, it's an annual event. I believe it's free. You'll have to pay for your accommodations wherever you go. Sure. Um, what else? What else? What else? Uh, oh, okay. So then uh, Oregon Motorcycle Road Racing Association starts their uh, 2018 series on the 28th and 29th at Pacific Interna- or Portland International Raceway. So that's going on. And then on the 29th up in Surrey, B.C., is the annual uh, Vintage Swap Meet and Show and Shine. Nice. So another excuse to get up to Canada if you haven't uh, had the chance yet this year. Yeah. Might want to be a little careful trying to bring in anything you buy at the Swap Meet. <laughs> you might pay some duty. I don't know. Yeah. How does that work? with? Uh, yeah, when you buy something used, you have to pay duty bringing it in? It's a great question, especially with uh, used motorcycle parts and that kind of thing. Um I guess that's another another project for us to research in our part two discussion on tariff and trade wars, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's our calendar for April. Um, I don't know, there's some stuff coming up in May, but uh, I think it's far enough down the road we don't need to pre-broadcast. Can you see what's on May 4th there? Yeah, the May 4th, that's what I was looking at, was uh, Northwest Nitro Nationals Pro Hill Climb. Okay, so that's out in Sunnyside. That's right. You might want to plan ahead for that. But um, other than that, we'll get to the May calendar when we get back to the May show. Right now, we're going to take a break. Support for SoundRider and the SoundRider Show is made possible by... Moon Motorcycles, a family-run operation located in Issaquah, Washington. Moon Motorcycles features a diverse selection of used bikes to choose from. Whether you're shopping for a used sport bike, cruiser, dual sport, sport touring, or street standard, you owe it to yourself to visit Moon Motorcycles and look over their large inventory. Have you got a used bike you want to consign? Get in touch with Moon Motorcycles today. Hello, this is Joey from Joey's Moto Dump and Junkyard on Maury Island in beautiful British Columbia. One of my favorite rides is in Washington from Mapton to Big Colton on the Glade Road. I like to just drop the throttle and let it roll. But right now, I'm listening to the Sound Rider Show. Hi, this is Rich from Rich's Custom Motorcycle Seats, and you're listening to the Sound Rider Show.
We are back on the Soundwriter Show, and I thought it might be a good idea, since it's spring and all, to uh, bring in an insurance specialist so that we can all take a look at what we're doing with our motorcycle insurance, uh, ways we might be able to save money, uh, ways we might be able to understand things a little bit more about the various coverages that you purchase when you do it. So uh, say hello, uh, Chris Gibbons from State Farm Insurance. Hello there. Nice to be a part of the show. Uh, Chris Gibbons, my office is in uh, Queen Anne, Seattle. He's up on top of Queen Anne on, on McGraw Street, right? Indeed. I just want to, uh, let's, let's start off by talking about what the various coverages are that people, well, actually, let's, since it's motorcyclists, let's talk about why it's important to have motorcycle insurance in Washington State, even though it's not required. Yes, uh, very important to have it in, in a number of ways. The uh, primary coverage is that are afforded would be liability, uh, uninsured motorist, and then coverage for your bike itself. So uh, comprehensive and collision are the two coverages involved that actually ensure the, uh, the value of your motorcycle itself. These are nice for a variety of reasons. You know, if a bike falls over, uh, if someone taps into it and knocks it over, or if there's any type of, of accident where your motorcycle is, uh, is damaged, comprehensive and collision could both come into play to repair or replace your bike. Now, those are not required by the state, right? They is, are not. Actually, it, there is... Is liability required by the state? Liability is not required by the state. There okay. is no insurance coverage that's required by the state of Washington. Okay. So if a guy doesn't have liability insurance and he gets into... He causes a crash, what, uh, what, what kind of things can happen? Well, number one, he is legally liable for any property damage that he causes or any type of bodily injury or medical bills that come about as a result of that crash. So it's a huge responsibility to take on oneself a financial burden in most cases if you don't have any insurance to pay out in the event that you're at fault in an accident. And so if I own a house or I have a bank account with a 401k in it, can that all be, uh, can that be taken by the... It can indeed. Yeah, you, you would be uh, liable for those injuries or that damage that you cause. So 401k is a little different. Retirement accounts are generally protected uh, from those types of civil issues or lawsuits. But absolutely, equity that you have in a home, cash that's sitting in a savings account, mm -hmm. those would all potentially be up for grabs if you were indeed found liable and didn't have any insurance coverage to pay out on your behalf. Okay. So let's say we've got insurance and let's talk about the various coverages. Um, first one is what, the library liability. Correct. First one is liability. And so this is a coverage that pays out on your behalf as the rider if you're at fault in an accident, either causing damage to somebody else's property or causing injury that results in medical bills to somebody else. Okay. And so we have, uh, we have uh, minimum coverages, but is that always a good idea to buy the minimum coverage, even though you know, somebody thinks, well, it's just a motorcycle? Certainly the minimum is better than nothing at all, but I think that uh, riders need to take into account their own asset situation and, and where they're at, what they potentially stand to lose if they are involved in an at-fault accident. And in most cases, the minimum liability limits are, are not enough at all to take care of some of the issues that we see. 
So the uh, the minimum require well there is no minimum requirement for motorcycle insurance, but uh, the starting point in Washington is twenty five thousand per person and fifty thousand per accident of bodily injury liability. Mm-hmm. And essentially, what that means is if you are at fault in an accident and injure someone, the max that your policy would pay out per individual would be twenty five thousand dollars towards their medical bills, which might get them to the hospital. Maybe half the way there in an ambulance, <laughs> yeah. right? So it's it's probably advisable for people to consider higher amounts. I think <clears> so, <throat> especially individuals that own a home or that have a high-paying job. Anyone with assets to protect should absolutely consider carrying a higher limit. Okay. We know there's a lot of Teslas going around and, and, and expensive cars. So, you know, just uh, just T-boning somebody's car, hopefully it would not be your fault. But if it was... You could easily do more than $50,000 worth of damage with a large motorcycle on a vehicle. Oh, absolutely. And it's, <laughs> it's something that we see from time to time, no doubt about it. And that's, that's the big misconception. It's, it's always been a bit of a mystery why motorcycle insurance isn't required in Washington State, at least to me. Uh, but there is certainly a misconception that motorcycles just don't cause damage or aren't capable of being responsible for a major claim. And, and that is certainly not the case. No, definitely not. Okay, then uninsured motorists, that's pretty well spelled out. That's if somebody hits you and they don't have insurance. Yes, and most people think of getting their bike repaired or replaced if they're hit by an uninsured driver, and and that's certainly a component of the coverage. What's probably more important is the bodily injury portion of uninsured motorist coverage, meaning if somebody cuts you off and you have to lay the bike down or you run into a truck or something and you're injured, uh, if you have health insurance, great, that, that will come into play. A lot of health insurance policies or medical insurance policies that we see these days have high deductibles. And so you might be looking at a significant amount of money out of pocket, even if it's not your fault, uh, if you're hit by an uninsured motorist. So what's nice is to be able to fall back on your own motorcycle insurance policy if you find yourself in that situation and know that regardless of whether the person at fault who hits you has insurance, you're going to have um, some relief through your own insurance policy. And that way you can work with your own carrier instead of having to deal with somebody else's insurance company. Right, right. Um, okay, on uh, comprehensive and collision, that's uh, that's if uh, that's for your personal property that gets damaged. That's correct. So um, the value of that should be about probably the the what the, whatever the bike is valued at. Yeah, for the most part, and uh, you don't have to worry about necessarily setting a specific value. You know, unless you've got a very high value bike. Or, or an antique or something to that effect, what the policy language usually provides is actual cash value at the time of the accident. So the value is going to be set at the time of claim, um, either by your insurance company or using software or so forth. So the value is less important, I think, than having the coverage and having the right deductible. And the reason for having um, both comprehensive and collision, they cover different types of scenarios. Typically, comprehensive is going to cover stuff that wouldn't necessarily be your fault. Uh, examples would be theft, vandalism, mm-hmm. uh, weather damage, stuff that's somewhat out of your control. Somebody backed into your bike at the ferry or something like that, yeah. Yep, uh, or the bike just you know tips over in the garage, perhaps. I, I probably said that because it happened to me once before. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, whereas collision is going to cover at-fault damage to your motorcycle. 
So you, if it's my fault? If it's your fault, uh, you hit someone or something, you, you backed up into a pole, uh, any of those examples where you're responsible for the damage, then your collision coverage comes into play. Okay. Okay. Um, and let's talk uh, briefly about uh, making a claim to your health insurance company when it's occurred on your motorcycle. So let's say that uh, someone has been riding their motorcycle, they come off, they break their hand, and they go to their uh, medical insurance provider, and a medical insurance provider turns them down. I believe what you were telling me earlier is they actually need to go directly to the the vehicle insurance provider first to start filing health claims. In, in some cases, yes. Uh, what's a given is anyone who is injured in an auto accident in Washington, whether it be a private passenger vehicle or a motorcycle, when you go to the doctor, uh, one of the first things that they will ask you is, hey, did this happen in a motor vehicle? And if so, have you already looked at your personal insurance for coverage? The reason for that is, is um, the way Washington law is structured with personal injury protection. In many cases, the first line of defense is someone's auto or motorcycle insurance. Now, just because the doctor asks that question doesn't necessarily mean that your own medical insurance wouldn't kick in, but they need to see proof that you've taken the initial steps of routing it through your insurance carrier and either you know, determining whether or not you have coverage through your auto insurance. Okay. So when you get admitted to the hospital, whatever, you want to show them your medical insurance card as well as your vehicle insurance card probably, huh? Exactly. So they they know where to go. Okay. Um, let's see here. Let's talk about um, discounts because uh, in, in your line of work and in, and in a lot of uh, insurance uh, representatives, they don't just sell vehicle insurance. You sell home insurance. You sell various property policies, maybe business-type insurance plans. So if I have a couple of motorcycles and a car, uh, I'm probably going to get a discount right then, right? For having multiple vehicles. Correct. And then if I add on my home insurance, that sort of thing, if I do that all through the same broker, I'm getting discounts on that as well? Yes, you would. Uh, Multi-lining is the terminology that a lot of insurance companies like to use, but the uh, general premise is that the more lines of insurance that you have with the same carrier, the greater your discount is going to be on those various lines of insurance. Okay. And if I'm a small business owner, is it in my interest to get an umbrella policy that's up on top of everything I have? Yes, I believe it is. At a minimum, you want to consider the umbrella policy and take a look at you know the uh, the value of the coverage versus the cost and premium. But with uh, with umbrella insurance, it is just adding excess liability coverage. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at a situation where you would be at fault uh, in an accident, whether you're a business owner or, like we mentioned earlier, whether you just have significant assets that you want to protect or mm-hmm. an income stream that you want to protect. Um, if you're found legally liable for an accident and you don't have enough insurance coverage to pay for the damage that you caused, anything above and beyond what your insurance carrier provides, you become personally responsible for. So the idea behind an umbrella policy is whether you're a small business owner or in a variety of other situations, you are going to have that excess liability coverage and that peace of mind. Even if you're responsible for some type of significant accident, you're going to have enough insurance coverage to pay out as opposed to you liquidating assets. Uh, other ways to save money, maybe, maybe not. Um, we know that uh, State Farm has a program called Drive Safe and Save, 
which is a device that you put in the car, and they can track your driving habits. Uh, Progressive has a similar one called the Snapshot, and um, these provide a discount on auto policies, but you were saying that State Farm doesn't transfer that over to the motorcycle and give a discount for good driving habits in the car, correct? At this point, that's correct. And I, of course, can't speak for other companies, but um, the way we do things is, you know, the Drive Safe and Save discount is available for primary auto insurance. It's not available or doesn't carry over to motorcycle insurance at this point. So that's something that that people should talk to their broker about. Correct. And uh, let's see. And then one more way to uh, that I think you can save money on your insurance is any time you get a moving violation to uh, use an attorney to see if you can't get that taken off your record or actually not have it go on your record, right? To begin with, yeah. I think that's great advice, Tom. The uh, the single best way to save money on insurance premiums is to have a good driving record when it comes to auto and motorcycle insurance. Mm-hmm. So any way that you can protect that record, I think, is a good idea. You know, if it's uh, if you're in Washington and it's your first time for for having a, a speeding ticket or a moving violation, typically you can get that dropped so it never goes on your record relatively easily by just not getting in trouble again for a couple of months or going through a simple process. But um, if you've had a ticket or two in the past, I think it makes complete sense to get an attorney involved and uh, to make sure or prevent that from going on your record. Every speeding ticket as well as every at-fault claim is take is looked at when an insurance company determines the premium that you pay. And so the fewer the better. And so typically a uh, attorney's fees are going to be less than what you might pay over a three-year period if you don't get that off your record, right? You know, it depends on the attorney, depends on the severity of the moving violation. You know, the more severe, the more impact it can have on your insurance premium. So I think you have to weigh, you know, the cost of hiring an attorney. Certainly everyone operates within a budget. Um, but if it's a reasonable expense to hire that attorney, I, I am an advocate of doing it and, and avoiding the hit to your driving record. Okay. Um, let's say someone is uh, wants to go shopping around for insurance. Everything's kind of changed over the last 10 or 15 years. Um, what's your recommendation on the best way to shop for insurance nowadays? Yeah, that's a good question because I think we're bombarded with uh, insurance ads on a daily basis. At least I know I am from a a lot of different venues. But I think when you're looking at uh, an insurance company and who to do business with, shopping around, you want to get a couple of different estimates or quotes. And I think it makes sense to do that from companies that maybe specialize in different areas. Uh, my recommendation would be to you know get a quote from a company that is primarily online that uh, you know whose customer service is going to be done primarily via email or a call center and then to balance that with a quote or two from a company that uh, provides a local agent presence and I think you you know many times they'll the price difference may not be as as great as one might think, mm-hmm. and so when you're you're making that decision, a lot of it goes down to the way you like to do business um, if it's important to have a local agent, someone who's a part of the community who will take the time to you know get to know you and your family and better understand your individual situation, you might be able to get you know insurance advice that's really catered to you 
and what you need um, above and beyond what you might be able to get from a call center or an online operating insurance company. Um, on the flip side, there are certainly people that uh, don't value or need that as much, and uh, they might be better suited elsewhere. So, you know, the the criteria you want to look at is how you like to do business, what the cost of the insurance is, and then on the back side, you really want to take a look at the um, the financial stability of the company and how they pay out their claims. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Truly, when you need the insurance, you want to make sure that they're taking care of you the way that you expect. You want to make sure that the coverage is structured in a way that's going to benefit you. And uh, you don't want to be nickel and dime. You want to work with a company that's going to realize, hey, the whole reason you filed the claim is because something unfortunate happened. Let's move forward and make this process as simple and customer-friendly as possible. I probably should have prefaced this interview, too, by telling people that you are not my insurance agent. I am not. That is correct. <laughs> You're not. We don't have any plans for you to be my insurance agent anytime soon. But I do, I personally, as a small business owner, as an owner of multiple vehicles, as a, as a homeowner, I like to be able to walk in the door and sit down with my insurance guy and talk to him face-to-face. Because then, you know, if I have another question or whatever, it's, it's not a, a whole bunch of emails going back and forth or a chat thing online or something. I just, I, I prefer for that myself. Well, we don't have any current plans, Tom, but we'll see after this interview where we go with, with your personal insurance. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, I think, is there anything else you wanted to add in here today? No, that, that does it for the most part. I want to you know, appreciate your time and, and ask me to come in and explain a few of these things. And uh, um, no, that's about it. And, and I'll tell people the reason I asked you to come in is because I did sit down with you one night the first time I met you, and I had a really good conversation with you, and I thought, you know what? I used to have my insurance over at Ride West Insurance here in Seattle. And when they sold all that down to Columbia, it was it was telephone stuff, and I didn't like it. And I was realizing, uh, talking to you that night, how much I enjoyed being able to sit and talk to someone about insurance and, and different policies and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I, I feel like we need that person in the community, and I think someone like you is a good person that people probably ought to just check in with. Um, uh, a lot of people were bounced down to Columbia Insurance, and I don't know how many of them were happy with them or not. Uh, I wasn't, so that's why I moved everything elsewhere. And uh, and I have a, a agent that I can walk in the door and sit and talk with, and uh, and uh, like talking with you. So, yeah, likewise, Tom, and and I, I echo your sentiment in that. Uh, we have so many clients and, and individuals that we speak with that have never actually taken the time to sit down and better understand their coverage. And they might have been paying premiums for literally decades, mm-hmm. and they've got a general understanding of how it works. But you know, just taking 20 or 30 minutes to discuss the various coverages like we did with motorcycle insurance, yeah. it, uh, it exposes potential needs or areas where they say, hey, I didn't really realize that coverage was available or that I didn't understand exactly how liability works. So you might not not even know just how much this type of conversation would benefit you until you sit down and actually have it. And, uh, and that's what we do on a daily basis, and I've enjoyed uh, chatting with you about it, Tom. All right, sir. So that's uh, Chris Gibbons, State Farm Insurance, up on McGraw on top of Queen Anne here in Seattle. And we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back. Support for SoundRider and the SoundRider Show is made possible by... Skagit Power Sports. 
Check out the North Sound's largest selection of bikes from names like Yamaha, Kawasaki, KTM, and Suzuki. Located just off I-5 in Burlington, Skagit Power Sports also features a large selection of riding gear, apparel, and an experienced staff to help you along the way. Visit Skagit Power Sports today. Hi, my name is Steve. I'm from Olympia, Washington. Uh, my favorite area to ride in is around uh, Kamei, Idaho, where the gravel roads are fantastic and the paved roads are even better. Hi there, this is Uli Langenberg from Uli's Famous Sausage, and you are listening to the Sound Rider Show. Back on the Sunrider Show. I'm Tom Marin, the publisher. I'm here with Derek Roberts. What are you? I think we tried to get into this last, uh, <laughs> our last episode, and uh, I think the only suggestion that was thrown out was something to the effect of like turbocharger. Oh, the turbocharger yeah, of the show. That's, that's right. It. Yeah. Okay. So, Grandpa Carburetor over here, right. and Turbocharger <laughs> Derek over there. I'll take it. I'm not sure exactly where it lands, but hey, uh, in this April episode, I am uh, more than happy to be the turbocharger. <laughs> so uh, uh, you got a you got a tip for our listeners this month? I do. Yeah, you know, I oftentimes uh, when I'm going through the month and I'm I'm thinking about tips and tricks, uh, I try to be mindful, kind of why I'm riding or while I'm riding, and kind of look out for maybe some simple things. And I kind of had a a very minor incident that happened. That uh, got me thinking about this month's tip, and that is the importance of gear selection while riding in traffic. I thought you were going to say the importance of putting your kickstand down. (laughs) That is important as well, but uh, specifically with gear selection, I had one of these situations where we're two lanes of traffic, and I'm kind of right side by side with another vehicle, right maybe about uh, mid-passenger door, and they started to merge into my lane. And uh, it's one of those situations where you can either go brake or accelerate. And when you're in the right gear, if you just tweak it a little bit, you get out in front of that car. No oh, problem. Oh, you're talking at about all. that kind of gear selection. Yeah. So yes, yeah, it's your your mechanical gear. You're not talking about those those gardening knee pads you wear. No, <laughs> not talking about those. Although those are helpful if you do get bumped by the car. Just uh, keep those on. But, you know, they talk about a lot of times in intro training just to make sure that you're in the right gear for the right situation. But it's something that you can get kind of lazy with. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we head into the sort of new maybe official riding season here, just, hey, take a moment while you're out riding around to kind of be cognizant of that. Maybe prime your brain for uh, the rest of the year here because that acceleration to escape can be really, really helpful. But also in rainy weather – um, and the reverse side, you know, you can use that compression braking to slow you down enough to let that car in front without having to get on the brakes and create maybe a dangerous situation. So a simple thing, but that's my tip here uh, in the month of April. I'm going to add to your tip. Let's do it. Um, without asking you how long you had been traveling alongside that vehicle, mm-hmm. uh, my addition would be that uh, we all fall into this once in a while where we well, all of a sudden we look and we go, well, I've been next to that guy for a while. Um, and the thing is, don't. Um, yeah. Get in your lane, and when you need to, when you need to uh, go up ahead, 
then grab that throttle and get in front of that vehicle. And this works really good when you drive a car, too. Yes, but, it does. Um, uh, you don't want to hang around in anybody's area, uh, even if you don't think that you're in their blind spot. You know, they're so busy answering their texts from their mother that they don't they don't know what's in their blind spot or That's where true. you are. Yeah. So uh, uh, just uh, don't don't ride side by side to any vehicle. And particularly uh, of interesting when uh, the text they're getting from their mother says, "Watch out for motorcyclist." Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, let's see. My tip. Is uh, it's uh, it's April, and a lot of us are pulling the bikes out of the garage for the first time. Yep. And uh, T clocks is the tip of the day. All right. Uh, the acronym, and I I didn't look it up. I don't remember what the acronym is, but it's a safety check on your bike before you ride. You ought to actually probably do it every few days you ride. Yeah. Uh, so the acronym is T C L O C S T clocks. Right. And. Um, wouldn't hurt at this point to either do it yourself or take the bike to the shop and have them run a 25-point safety inspection on your bike. Always a good idea. It's, it's, of course it's going to cost you money. You know it is they're going to find something wrong. Sure. But, uh, you know, if you weren't paying attention to your chain and they noticed that you had a tooth missing off your sprocket, you're going to want to fix that. Right. So. Well, let's, uh, let's see. Can we, can we break down this, uh, this acronym here? What do you think? T-Clocks. Uh, go online and, and look it up. Okay. Um, uh, and we're not going to do it right now. We're not going to do that right I now. I think I got but it. It's, uh, AMA has a good article about it. Uh, MSF has an article about it. So, uh, so yeah, we don't want to tell listeners what it is. We want them to go online, <laughs> break it down, learn what it is, and do it when you ride. Or make up your own, right? Or make up your own, yeah. 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 Um, hey, okay, I got one more thing I'm going to add here. Everybody who stuck it out through the end of the show today. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's April. Some people want to unload a bike, and you guys, our listeners, have been listening to the show, and you, you deserve a reward. So here's your reward. Um, if you have a used bike you need to sell, during the month of April, I will let you put your used bike on Soundrider for free. I will keep your ad up for eight weeks. So this isn't the deal where we do pay the 19 bucks and keep it going until it sells. Sure. But I'll give you eight weeks of free advertising on Soundwriter of your motorcycle. The only thing I need you to do is when you fill out the, the form in the description, I want you to either start it or end it with APR18. And then tell us about the bike, you know, what what the fancy things are. Right, complete the form, right? Just make sure you put APR18 in there somewhere. I'll remove it when I actually run the ad. Um, so uh, when you once you submit the form, it'll take you to the payment page on the store. Don't pay. Right. If you put the APR18 into the ad, then don't pay the 19 bucks unless you want us to run the ad until it sells. Right. Uh, otherwise, you're going to get eight weeks for free, so that's going to be – all of April until May, and I, I probably won't whack them all out until about June anyway. So. Yeah, I think that's a, hey, that's a great uh, a great little Easter egg here at the end of the show. So take advantage if you've got something you need to sell. I should take advantage and put a couple of mine in, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will be hanging on to my bike this year, but uh, maybe next year. I will have to run that deal again, and I'll take you up on that. Yeah, aren't you buying the Himalayan soon? You know, I uh, maybe we'll get into that in the next show. I'm a fan of the Himalayan. <laughs> All righty. Well, that is the end of our show. We want you to ride safe. We want you to ride well. 
and watch it ride often and come back next month for the May show. Yeah, on the Sound Rider show. We'll see you next month. The Sound Rider show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patience of everyone else involved, which is not to say we're doctors. Reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner. But please be sure to share the link with all your Facebook friends. This program is a production of Mixed Media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world, including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on the Sound Rider Show.